0: Of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold like their mother, the youngest one in curls. Here's the story. Of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys of his own. They were four men living all together, but they were all alone. Tell the one day met the men, when the lady met this fellow, and they knew that it was much more than a hunch that this crew would somehow form a family, and that's the way they all became the Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch, that's the way they became the Brady Bunch. The story of life, the song created, what a wonderful bouncy song. If there was a song that was made to fit out your life, what would that that song sound like? What is the song of your life? I was going to kind of try and do the the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air song, but then after what has happened to Will Smith over the last week, the Academy Awards, I thought it might be best to talk about something else. What would the song of Jacob be? For those of you who are joining us online or maybe you're here for the first time or first time in a long time, we have been studying the life of Jacob. What would his song be like? You'll probably have discovered when we talk about the story and the life of Jacob the jacob kind of steps on our toes he challenges our theology he kind of takes us out of our comfort zone when we start talking about god and all the things that we say about god because you know it kind of takes away from our finely crafted worship songs and the loaf of bread that we have with the little promise that we read every day or the app that you have that gives you the daily promise or, And that along with the picture of the footprints poem that you may have on your your dining room, living room, wall, as well as that precious verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says that all good works, God works out all good to those who love Jesus, who are called according to his purpose. Such a wonderful picture that we have. And sometimes reality has a way of just Crushing that it 's kind of like life being that that time where you 're at the beach and remember these as a kid, you had these little buckets with the with the uh, the shovel and you would you would get down and you would just pull out sand and you would place it down and you'd pack it down, and you would get another one, and you would pack it up, and you would just have this wonderful castle that you 're making up, and some person who was bigger than you, and some person who was stronger than you walks by and he just kicks it. And this wonderful thing that you have created all of a sudden is in shambles, and you shake your fist at that person, and you say, you big galoot, G-A-L-O-O-T, galoot, had, ne- had needed it for spell, spell check again, it is an actual real word, galoot, galoot, what a great name. Someone gets, you get angry with someone, call them a galoot, they maybe don't even know what you're talking about. What happens? When our transactional relationship with God is challenged. You know, the transaction basically is this. God says this, I died for you. I provided a way for you to be in eternity. And if you will surrender your life to me, I will come in and I will abide in with you. And if you abide with me, then, then I will come in and you will be a child of God. And it's a wonderful thing. Somewhere along the way, we kind of have added this transactional relationship that, well, God, if I'm going to serve you, that means that nothing but good or all good things uh, will be attached to that. And, and so, God, as long as you keep up your deal of providing me and doing all these good things for me, then I am going to serve you. Asking yourself some very serious questions about life. Yeah, well, what happens when I go... And the person comes to me and says, well, listen, you're in a difficult situation. I don't know if we can change it. Or, you're, under, you're under academic suspension and you're no longer going to be able to come and complete your degree. Or that phone call that happens at 3 o'clock in the morning. Is there ever a good phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning? Hey, just wanted to say hi. I think you're a wonderful guy. See you later. doesn't happen, does it? And so what happens when we do get slapped across the face on the stage And we're left there humiliated, not knowing what to do. What happens when you have a boat and the size of the hole in your boat is bigger than the bucket that you can bail out? And life becomes like this. I'm just bailing. And the more I bail and the harder that I bail and the faster that I bail still doesn't help me with the fact that the ship is sinking and sinking and sinking. And you're not too sure exactly how to deal with the situation. This is what we're up against as we continue on in the life of Jacob. And to describe chapters 34 and 35 of Genesis is kind of ugly. Now, I can't read both chapters um, and keep your attention. So what I would like to do is I would like to highlight to you the contents of Genesis chapter 34 and Genesis chapter 35. It comes on the heels of the fact that Jacob has this experience with God. And then he meets up with his brother who he thought was going to kill him. And God somehow intervenes. But Esau, his brother says to him, listen, I'll meet you in Sire. And Jacob says, yeah, okay, I, you know, I got to go a little bit slower. I've got things. But he never ever goes to meet him with Sire. At least we don't know. If it did, it's not recorded in Scripture. But instead, he goes into a land of Canaan, and he is on his journey back, and he comes into a ter- territory which is called Succoth, and from there, he finds a community which is called Shechem, where the- he was going to go back to Bethel, and he's not far from Bethel. We kind of think, well, Bethel's probably 1,000 miles away. You know how far Shechem was from Bethel? 30 miles, 50 kilometers So he is within the vicinity but what ends up happening is he decides to settle in Shechem, the Hivite territory, which is largely ungodly. And what he does is he puts his family in jeopardy because it is not the best neighborhood. And as we read the story in Genesis chapter 34, we realize that this is true because he has a daughter which is named Dinah. And scholars as they do the calculation figure that Dinah at this particular point is 13 years old or between 13 and 15 years old and the story as it is introduced says that Dinah decides to go and see what the other girls were up to in town she's just going out to socialize so as she's out there and, and talking with the girls, and I don't know whether they're painting toenails or whether they're just sitting around and, and, and at the malt shop or whatever the case is, whatever, put, put the picture in if you want. But she is discovered by an indi- individual whose name is Shechem. Shechem is the prince of the territory. His, da- his dad is Hamor. And Hamor's favorite son is Shechem, and we realize that because Shechem is named after the town. And what happens next becomes very dark because Shechem takes Dinah because he sees her beauty and he violates her and he rapes her. But the scripture goes on to say from there that he speaks tenderly to her. After all this happens, he begins to speak nicely. This is a common thing because the person who violates the act wants to kind of eliminate the guilt of what they have done and and confuse the victim because the victim begins to say, well, he's speaking all these nice words to me. Maybe it was my fault. Maybe I'm the one that is the problem. What ends up happening is is Shechem is so enamored with Dinah that he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I want her as my wife. Go and do something about it. So what happens is Jacob comes and, and, and Shechem and Hammer meet with Jacob, and when that news happens i 'm thinking myself as a dad what I would do if one of my girls was violated in that way, and Jacob does nothing at all he says i 'm just going to wait till my my the boys come home, and we 're going to try. And figure something out, and and Shechem and Hamar saying, "Well, this is a terrible thing that has happened, but you know what we can do is we can solve the problem. If he ends up marrying, if she ends up marrying Shechem, then she won't have to live with the disgrace of being raped and violated, and so really, it's a good thing. As a matter of fact, while we're on the subject, why don't we just kind of partner? Why don't we amalgamate? This is a great business business adventure venture that we can have, and." And your girls can marry our boys, and and our girls can marry your boys. and, And this is such a wonderful thing. By this time, the boys do come home. The sons do come home. And they don't have the same response that Jacob does. They're furious. Why? Because someone was in the kitchen with Dinah. And it's not a good thing. Not at all. And so they begin to talk, and the conversation goes on. And the boys basically say this. We're not going to have anything to do with you unless you're circumcised. We don't want to have anything to do with you. And so Shechem at this point, who is so enamored with this girl, says, I'll easily do this. We'll convince the rest of the community, the rest of our boys, to do something else that they would not normally do, believe me. And so to make the long story short, at the point where they are in the most pain, at the point where they are the most vulnerable, Two of the boys, Simeon and Levi, go, and they kill Hamor, and they kill Shechem. Not only that, they kill everybody in the town, and they take the women, and they take the possessions, and keep them as their own. There you go. Now we're even. Really? Really? You know that ruling that kind of says an eye for an eye in the Old Testament? And people think, well, that's kind of barbaric. It's based on vengeance. Actually, the implementation of the rule was to stay violence, to limit vengeance. Because the, the normal essence in the human nature is to overpay when we have been hurt. And so this is what's happened. This is a perfect example of that. Going Overboard. And so, and so this is what's taken place. And if, if you read the scriptures, it's, it's, it's pretty, clear, pretty clear as to, to what has taken place. And, and it's terrible. And Jacob's response is interesting. Jacob does not get angry at the rape of his daughter. He does not rebuke Hamor or Shechem. But he rebukes his kids and he rebukes his kids not because they massacred everybody in the city or not because they have abused the right of circumcision, but he is angry with them and he rebukes them because it looks bad on him. What are you guys doing? You know, I'm going to be obnoxious to the nations around us. This is going to be terrible, the way they look at me. And, and if you read the last parts of Genesis chapter um, 34, he mentions me and I a number of times. And and for this reason, Jacob does not win father of the year that year or any year after that. And in the entire chapter of Genesis chapter 34, the name of God is not mentioned even once. The tragedy, the trouble, the turmoil continues in Genesis chapter 35. It mentions Rebecca who or mentions Deborah who is Rebecca's nurse is passed away and there's 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 grief over her. And and as you if you look and do studies on on this Deborah, there are seven different explanations as to who she is. They're not too sure, but but one thing I think is common is that she was a person who was very much influential in the life of Jacob. She was a non-family person. She probably did the majority of the raising in his life, the most of the impact in his life. And sometimes the biggest hurts come when someone in our life dies and it's not a family member. This week I was crushed when I heard that Pastor Lori Gibbons died of a heart attack this week. Um, for those of you who went to camp, Lori Gibbons spoke at camp in, in, in late August, September. And uh, he was the district superintendent of, of Western Ontario. And I would not be where I am today without his influence and how he influenced so many people. And, and when I heard that he died, my heart sunk. There are times when the greatest hurts happen outside of our family. Not only that, you read a few verses later in Genesis chapter 35. And when they're in Bethlehem, the very first time you hear about Bethlehem in the Bible is here in Genesis chapter 35. Where all of a sudden, Rachel is about to have a baby. And the pain is so intense that when she delivers, who later becomes Benjamin, she dies. This is the person that that Jacob loves. He wept when he first saw her. He worked 14 years for her. This is the true love of his life. Passes away. Later on, it says, a few verses later, his dad, Isaac, dies. You know, he was about to die when he gave the blessing. Then 43 years later, he passed away, and they buried him, and it's terrible when, when you bury family members. On top of that, it says that Reuben, his oldest son, laid down with Rachel's maidservant. In other words, Rachel becomes, or sorry, Reuben becomes intimate with a couple of his brother's mother. And it says that Jacob figures it out. Jacob finds out about it. And so what happens is, if you read in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob blesses and talks about his family members, in Genesis 49 too, it talks about Reuben and says, listen, you got all this stuff, but I don't want to have anything to do with you because you laid with my master, with you laid with one of my wives. And he says to Simeon and Levi, who were who were instigators in the Shechem affair, he says, "You know, you guys are just violent people." And so the blessing goes past the first three to Judah, and Judah is where the lineage of Christ exists. That's how important this passage of scripture is. Well, this is this is. You know, how do you, how do you digest all of this? How do you assess the damage of what goes on? The pain of premature death. The scars of sexual abuse. The ramifications of those people who have been violated. The betrayal of adultery. And I know that I haven't experienced these things. But some of you who are here, who are listening to me, those of you who perhaps are listening online know exactly what I am talking about. Now, at this point, there are some people saying, oh, Pastor Mike, you know what I'm going through. That's why you're preaching about this. Let me just remind you, I'm in week 12 of a series, which means I would have to be pretty good at timing something so that I figured that in three months people will be going through terrible times. But I know that people are going through terrible times. And I believe that God has something to say to us. What happens when tragedy, terror, trouble, your worst nightmares comes to your door. Well, let me just say that they are um, unconscionable, if we could put the, the slide up. They're unconscionable. They're unwelcome. They're unexpected. They become unbenounced and we are often unprepared, and many of the things we go through are unexplainable, and many times they leave us undone. C.S. Lewis has a powerful statement. He says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Maybe you're here today, this morning, and God is speaking to you with his megaphone. I'm not too sure if I can say words that will be able to help you go through what you are going through. Um, And before you wave your white flag and give up, let me just tell you something. That in between the tragedy of Genesis chapter 34 and in between the tragedy of Genesis 35, there is an island. There is a passage of hope that God draws us to. So if I could just read to you the verses in Genesis chapter 35, which is the island which God does to save and help Jacob. And then I want to just kind of give you some, some things that I think are important for us to understand today as a church or as individuals who are just dealing with life when it has caught us over the head. Genesis 35 verse 1 says this, Said, and Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Then he said, then he, then, And then let us arise and go up to Bethel and, and let us make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And so Jacob came to Luz, which is Bethel, which is the land of Canaan, and he had all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel. Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob, but your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And going on into verse 11, it says, and God said to him, I am almighty, El Shaddai. That's where the term is, El Shaddai in the Bible. This is kind of where we get it. I am Lord Almighty. Be fruitful, increase in number, a nation, and a community of all of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him at a place where he had talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar, a stone pillar at the place where God had talked with him, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it, and Jacob called the place where God had talked with him Bethel. This is the first revival recorded in Scripture. Interesting to note. And in Genesis chapter 34, God's not mentioned at all. In Genesis 35, God, or a variation of God's name, is mentioned 22 times. And here's the thing you need to realize as we talk about this. That it's God that was the one that was initiating the revival. God is the one who calls him back. The thing is this, you can pray for revival, and you can even kind of prepare for revival, but you can't program revival. That's something that God does on his own. I also want to note that it happens in probably one of the most darkest times, at this point, the darkest time in their history. God begins to show up. And for what it's worth, for you who are here today, and maybe you are suffering, you're going through a difficult time, or maybe you are here and you're not, and this is for the future for you. Here are some things. In this island in Genesis chapter 35 that God talks about. The first thing he says is this. You need to return to Bethel. The first thing God had to do is to allow Jacob to return to the place where he wanted him to be in the same. He was in the vicinity, but he didn't. Instead, he subjected his family to unhealthy environment. Jacob had to him get himself back to where he saw and experienced God's presence Let me just say this, that there are times when we have to do the same thing ourselves. When you're going through the toughest times, when you're dealing through the roughest experience, when you have trouble and when you have tragedy and when you have treasure, the first thing you need to do is take a look at where you are. There are times when God says, hey, why don't you come back to the place where you were before to be aware of where you are. How do I get myself back to Bethel? First of all, you take a look at where you are and you remember where God was before and you go there. It's kind of like revelation when when the angel is talking to the church of Ephesus and he says, listen, get yourself back to your first love. Beware of what you've fallen from and come back to him and give your life completely, total to him. Return to Bethel. The second thing that's important to know is he tells us to rid yourself of the idols. And this is an important thing because there are steps that are seen here. Jacob says to his whole family, we need to get ourselves to a point where we are obedient without hesitation. We need to get rid of the idols before the idols get rid of you. And if you've been joining us along in this whole thing, Rebecca had a number of idols she was hiding him from her father Laban. Who knows that those, those idols may still have been there and, and, and have been subject to making his life miserable. We need to give up the idols. We don't have revival because we're not singing the right songs or because the pastor's not preaching on the right sermon. The reason we don't experience revival is because we've not given up the idols. And so you'll see a few things. He says, get rid of them. That's the starting act. And then he says, purify yourselves. That's the spiritual act. A time of going before God and forgiveness and repentance and wisdom and establishing his lordship again. Then after that, he says "He says this, put on new clothes. Or sorry, yeah, yeah he says, put on new clothes. That's the symbolic act in your soul. And the last thing was that they buried it. There is what we will call um, the sealing act. What basically was talked about there was that he had a funeral for all the idols that he had. He had to return to Bethel. He had to rid himself of the idols. He had to remember what God had done. You know what we miss in this whole passage? The change of the name of the altar. Whenever whenever. Jacob had an experience. He built an altar. The first time he built the altar, it was called Bethel. It's a popular term for us since we call ourselves Bethel, right? Bethel means house of God. And it was from the first time he experienced the location and saw wonderful things. But this time he calls it El Bethel. Beth meaning house, El meaning Elohim, which is God. So house of God, This time, he says, the God of the house of God. What's the significance of this? Well, the first time, he was was very much impressed with the location. He was impressed with the experience. But this time, as he meets with God, he he is impressed with the God of the house of God. He is impressed with the God of the experience. There's a huge difference, isn't there, between one and the other? to be impressed with the experience, to be expressed with the place, with the location. But this time, all of a sudden, he matures, and he says, well, yeah, I I guess the location and the experience is great, but the location and the experience is absolutely nothing if the God of that experience isn't there. There's something deep for us to understand through this passage of Scripture that we don't chase the experience. We don't worship the place. We come to the point where we say, God, I'm going to worship you. And I can do it here. I can do it anywhere. I can do it in all these other places. The idea is the fact that I need to come back to you, not just to Bethel, but come back and repeat his promises. It says in in, in verses 10 to 13, well, what's what's that about? Well, if you notice, and if you're any student of scripture, God doesn't say anything different to them that he did say earlier. He just kind of repeats the same thing that he said before. Well, listen, God, I kind of like to have a little bit of new information. And sometimes in our theology, in the way that we think, we look and we emphasize those verses where God talks about doing something new. Behold, I desire to do something new. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are what? New every morning. and We, we just celebrate and we bask in the new verses. But there's so many passages where God reiterates who he is where he talks about the promises which are true. And if they're true yesterday, they are true of today. And when you go through the darkest nights of your life, when you're going through the most challenging times of your life, many times it is the promises that have already been there. They will be the thing that get you through the night. God, I just thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds, that you are faithful, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. The he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. All things that have already been said to you, if you've been a Christian your whole life, from the time you were in Sunday school. To repeat, realize the promises that God has been telling us all along. And if there's a a last one, it would be this, to... um, to remain steadfast. The last thing he does says that he pours a drink drink offering over the altar. This is the first time that we even hear of drink offering. And the symbolism of a drink offering is to absolutely give every single part of your life over to God times when Paul says, I've given my life as a drink offering before God. The analogy, when you are going through the easiest times, but in the midst of the trouble, it takes on a whole new effect. God, I'm just here and I pour out every single part of my life. Whether I'm going through a good time, whether I'm going through a bad time, I pour everything over to you. Well, God, when is it going to be done? Well, you're just going to have to hang on. You're going to have to trust me through the whole thing. But what I want you to do is no matter what situation you are in, I want you to give me all of your life. And it kind of echoes throughout the scriptures to the point where we share communion um, this morning. And if you have your emblems with us, I just want to, at this point of the service, remind us... Of the fact that there was a God who came and he died for your sins. That he was broken for you. God did incredibly wonderful things for us. In the midst of our darkest days. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25 goes on to say, in the same way after supper he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you could take the first part, the cellophane part, peel that apart, you'll have the wafer, which represents the broken body of Christ. God, we're just so thankful for all that you have done. And the condition that I'm going through right now doesn't take away from the fact that you are a God that loved me so much that you endured the cross for me. Lord, we just consider that as we participate together in the emblem of the broken body of Christ. Let's participate together. open up the second container which is the grape juice it represents the blood that was shed for us on the cross so that your sin could be forgiven if you don't know Jesus you can it's a time where you just say God here, here's my life I give you everything forgive me for my sin please come in be Lord of my life and if you say it and you mean it God automatically comes in despite everything that you have done, every bad act that you've had, every sin that you have committed, he comes in to forgive. Let's participate in what is represented as the blood of Christ to forgive our sins. Praise you, Father. Praise you, Father. Look what Charles Finney says? He says, All that's necessary for revival is a new beginning of obedience to God. true you may have never ever heard of Fanny Crosby she lived in the 1800s and six months after she was born her father died and so all she had left was her grandmother and her mother and her mother spent all of her time working as a maid to keep the family together and so her grandmother was the one to help her and raise her but even as she was a little child, she had an infection in her eyes, and the proper doctor was not there. And so there was another doctor who professed to have a medical knowledge, and what he did is he put some type of an anointment, an ointment on her eyes, and the infection went away, but it left a white scar over both of her eyes, and as a baby, she was blind. She was absolutely and completely blind. And her grandmother was the one who devoted herself to God and to raise her up. And she read scriptures continually to her, to the point where Fanny Crosby memorized long portions of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Eventually, she dedicated her life to Christ in her church in New York and became a deaconess and a lay preacher and a poet one of the most famous hymn writers the world has ever known. Perhaps the most famous hymn writer was ever known. In her lifetime, she wrote over 8,000 songs and hymns. It is said of Fanny Crosby that during the prime of her life, she wrote more than three songs a week. And... If we had our hymnals here, you could leave through and you could see a number of the hymns that Fanny Crosby had written that have impacted us to this day. One of them we sang last week says this, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit washed in his blood, perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture, now burst on my sight, angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, what is your song? Have you lost your song? Have you been caught up in all the terror and the tragedy and troubles that you forget that there's a God who loves you deeply and will help you through whatever dealings you're going through? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Holy Spirit, do a work that I can never, ever do. Allow the presence of God to move in our pain, in our tragedy, in our ache, in the things that we can't understand because you're a God who cares and loves for us. And we just hand... Amen. Let's stand. The altars are open. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.